It was about a year and a half ago that the congregation here assumed the oversight of our speaker tonight, Brother Isaiah Jackson, and uh, the preacher training school in South Sudan, and and um, a host of other things that that just uh, automatically brings with it in the work over there. I had met Isaiah about uh, four years ago when I had traveled to Uganda and visited the Sudanese refugees in a refugee camp. There were about 85,000 of them in this particular camp. And uh, we were visiting those, uh, those people in preparation for uh, taking the gospel to their homeland and them returning to their homeland. And I uh, wanted to encourage them as well uh, as they were in exile. One morning after one of the services, there was this man came up to me and pointed at a man, and it happened to be our speaker tonight, pointed at him and said, uh, that man right there has baptized over 3,500 people. And that was in a period of about seven or eight years. And I remember Isaiah telling us just a few days ago and that, that at one time that he had uh, stood in the water for an hour just baptizing people. It, um, Isaiah has accomplished a lot, and, and it's just impossible to tell you about it in such a few short words of introduction. Brother Truett Adair and I were visiting the other day about uh, when uh, we took Isaiah by Lubbock to visit the school that he graduated from, what used to be known as the Sunset School of Preaching. And uh, Truett shared with me that the uh, first time he met Isaiah, he said there were about five men that were brought in to visit him, and they were going to talk about coming to school there. And he said, back at the back, uh, not saying a word, just being back there at the back of the group was Isaiah. And he, he wasn't real sure that Isaiah would, could make it in school. But Isaiah did. And we were reminiscing at that time about the fact that Isaiah, since he graduated from that school, has baptized more people than all the rest of his class together. He has accomplished great things. Tonight he's going to tell you about the work that he's doing in South Sudan. And he will be too modest to tell you, but most of the the things that uh, has been accomplished has been because of his work or because he has provided the leadership for these things to be done. And as I've gotten to know Isaiah, I have been really impressed with his dedication to the Lord, to the Word of God, and to his commitment to those two things too. And uh, I am just really thrilled to think about the fact that we're on the same team. He told me his age the other day. I won't tell you his age. But uh, uh, I I immediately began to think, what are we going to do when Isaiah is not around to help us with these things? You know, I I just can't, I don't want to think about that. Isaiah is a U.S. citizen. He's in the United States to visit his children. First time he's seen them in about four years. And I thought it would be a travesty if we didn't suggest that he come to Mount Juliet and speak and let you get acquainted with him and let him get acquainted with you. I think what, what you're going to see tonight is the fact that mission work and taking the gospel to all the world is a partnership. 
We can't do in South Sudan what he's doing. There's just no way in Mount Juliet we could do this work. But on the other hand, he can't do this work in South Sudan without the partnership of the Mount Juliet Church. I just, uh, this, way, this thing weighs heavily on me, and I just, I just found out about it as we were driving to services tonight. Isaiah told me that on his trip here to Nashville, he has learned that there are 50 men in the Nashville area from his home village in South Sudan that he has baptized in Sudan. And we need to find those men and to do something about that and bring them into fellowship with the church here in Nashville. So Isaiah, as you stand and speak to this group of people tonight, I would encourage you just to think about this as Wednesday night in South Sudan. Kind words of uh, introduction. I really appreciate it. Uh, brethren, I'm honored and excited to be here tonight. I'm honored in the sense that uh, I'm speaking to partners in the Lord's work in South Sudan. Uh, I want to begin by expressing my sincere appreciation on behalf of Sudanese brethren in South Sudan to this congregation for taking up the challenge of overseeing and supporting the work in South Sudan. Brethren, I want to let you know that uh, without your prayers, partnership and financial contribution, the Lord's work going on over there could not be possible. I'm here tonight to express that appreciation and to appeal to you, brethren, to continue the good job that you do to advance the Lord's kingdom in that part of the world. Uh, tonight, before I show you a slight presentation, I want to begin by, you know, talking a little bit about the history of the Lord's work in South Sudan. Uh, like most of you may know, in 1993, a civil war broke out in the country of Sudan. A civil war broke out between the north and the south. To be a little bit clear, Sudan is divided into two. The northern part is occupied by Arabs who are Muslims. And the southern part is occupied by Africans, black Africans like us. The reason behind the war was because the central government decided to impose Islam on the whole country. 
As a result, the people in the south, that is where I come from, resisted that imposition of Sharia law. They took up arms to resist forceful Islamization of the south. As a result, millions and millions of southern Sudanese fled the country. Most fled to the nearest neighboring country. Others fled to Ethiopia, others fled to Kenya, Uganda, DR Congo, Central Africa, Chad, and Egypt. And others even beyond, others fled as far as this country. My family were among those who fled to Uganda. I was in a refugee camp in Uganda like for two years. But then, after a year and two months, it happened that uh, a group of Americans from U.S. Embassy in that country made abrupt visit to the camp. They started conducting interviews at random. They were looking for those who are, you know, who have gone some sort of persecution. I was one of those who were interviewed. And I went through the interview. As a result, in September 1993, I was relocated to Houston, Texas with my family. In Houston, the Lord was with us. He brought our way one of the preachers in one of the churches of Christ in Houston by name Bill Yasko. These good men of God invited us for Bible studies. We studied together for about a week. As a result, we were converted. My family was converted alongside some few Sudanese. I continued worshipping in Westbury Church like for a year. And then the church you know because I was faithful throughout that time and they thought about our people back home who didn't know God. They asked me whether I was ready to, you know, go to school and be trained as a gospel preacher. I was kind of reluctant at first because I said, hey, I ran away from that country. I think it's not sensible for me to go back there. Is it really sensible? We thought of her, we discussed with my wife like for about three days. Then all of us agreed as a family that it was one of the wisest things to do. I took up that challenge and then the church sent me to uh, Sunset School of Preaching in uh, Lubbock, Texas. I thought I was not going to make it because my English was very limited. I had very limited knowledge of English. In Sunset School, they only teach Bible, no extra classes for English. 
It was tough, but the Lord was with us. I graduated on time with the rest of the students. After graduation, I took another class, missions class, like for six months. After that, I went back to Westbury. Then from there, we sat down with the, the preacher in consultation with the elders of the church. Then they asked my idea whether I was ready to go back to my own people in the same refugee camp where I was to go and preach. I welcomed the idea because, you know, I thought over my people. I've known the Lord. How about my people now? I thought over, I took that challenge. I went back to the same refugee camp where I was to teach, preach, and evangelize my people. Brethren, before that, there was no known work of the Lord's Church in Sudan. The only known work among Sudanese uh, known work of churches of Christ among the Sudanese was in Ethiopia, in exile. I took up that challenge, started organizing Bible studies. After a month, we planted the Lord's Church in the camp where my parents were. Uh, what you see over there is my house. I went back to the same refugee camp, settled among them, and began to preach and evangelize our Sudanese community. It is a two-room house. The roof is made of grass. That is uh, straw. The wall is made of mud. It's a two-room house, but livable, no electricity, no refrigerator, nothing. That was the first congregation of the Lord's Church that we planted in the same refugee camp. Within a year, the membership grew to about 200. So you can see what wonders the Lord can do when we are obedient to him. Uh, the preacher you see over there was one of those uh, that I converted. I conducted some kind of Bible studies with them and then after a year, they also began to mature, you know. Within a year, they began to preach. That preacher you see over there is called Andrew Cheng. He now preaches in one of the churches in a place called Magui. That was another congregation that we planted. The group you see over there are the preachers that I began to train because I was alone. The workload was just too, uh, too much. So what I was advised to do was train like Second Timothy 2, 2 principle, train other men who are trusted, reliable, you know, 
to help me in, you know, preaching and uh, evangelizing the Sudanese. That was the third congregation that we planted. It is, uh, they are about like uh, five miles apart within the same refugee camp. That was another congregation. They had no church building, but that couldn't stop them, you know, from learning and worshipping the Lord. That was the fourth congregation that we planted in another refugee camp. Uh, that meeting you see over there is in South Sudan. When the war was still going on, we moved to various parts of Sudan. It was risky. But we moved and planted churches. The congregation you see there is the newest that was planted this year with the help of Sam Akeri, who is in the audience right now. Uh, that again is one of the congregations that we planted in the villages. Most of our work, you know, is confined to the villages because according to what we have uh, found out, those in the villages tend to be more receptive than those uh, near the towns. Over there you can see me baptizing one of my sisters into Christ. I began to do that so that those I was training could also follow suit. Uh, over there you can see Andrew Cheng, one of the preachers that I've trained, is by baptizing a close relative of his into Christ. Normally over there, baptisms are conducted either in rivers or in some creeks. Uh, but uh, most of those rivers, you know, are free of crocodiles. You know? Over there, again, you can see one of the preachers, just, uh, one of the preachers that I've trained is following the same principle of 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Uh, what you see over there is in our part of the world, at times like, for example, from January to April, is normally dry season. Water is not available. Much water is not available, like, for example, to enable us to conduct baptisms. What we do is, at times, we have to postpone baptisms, even if, uh, even if uh, you know, candidates for baptisms come forward. We postpone, like over there, you can see, what we did was, there was no much water. What we did was, we dug a hole, and then we purchased uh, polythene sheets, put it in the hole and then fill it up with water and then use it for baptisms. That is what you see going on over there. 
that baptism was being conducted in the newest congregation uh, that was again planted through the effort of uh, Sam Akeri who is here in the audience. Same baptism still going on. Over there, you can see a group of uh, young men and ladies among them. Normally what we do, what I did because I was alone, there was no one to help me. We started conducting a leadership training for both men and women. We conduct like, uh, you know, Bible training like for seven days. Uh, the ladies you see among them participate also in all the courses that we conduct with the exception of preaching classes. The ladies minister to the ladies and children. Over there you can see one of our training classes in session. Again over there you can see the second session of our training in progress. We used to do this like three times a year. The preachers that have trained, they go out, plant churches. Because they were not mature enough, we call them back, train them, train them like for seven days. And then it was like some kind of on-the-job training. We train them like for seven days. They go back to their congregations, preach like for a while, and then they come back. That was how we multiplied uh, the preachers, because the rate of, uh, I mean, planting of the churches was very high, and I was alone. You know, we had to, you know, facilitate the training of the preachers so that they could, you know, preach in those congregations that we plant. Over there, you can see uh, one of our preaching classes in session. One of the students is, uh, is seen preaching and the others, you know, uh, do the critique. In most of those churches that we planted, those are the kind of shelters that we worship in. Those are the kind of makeshift shelters that we worship in. This congregation... Uh, was, uh, was relocated like two years ago from exile in Uganda. Again, when we, you know, evangelize, we thought it, you know, wise to, you know, bring children also in the equation because we have the feeling that there will come a time, leaders come and go, there will come a time, they will also, you know, be the next leaders uh, in their generation. So you see, what, what you see over there is a group of children after their Bible class. They learn under the tree, but uh, that doesn't stop them, you know, from learning about the Lord. Uh, you can see one of the preachers there 
moving from village to village also, teaching young children to know God at an early age, which I thought was the best thing to do. Uh, this congregation is in a place called uh, Pajok. Uh, the picture you can see over there is of a group of women after Bible class. <clears throat> like I said, after the signing of the peace agreement in 2005, that is after about 21 years of war in South Sudan, peace finally came to that country in 2005. After we had planted like uh, over 20 congregations of the Lord's Church in Uganda in exile, we felt uh, when the peace agreement was signed, the peace agreement came up with challenges also. Because the, the, the 20 congregations that we planted in the various refugee camps in Uganda was in exile. Now time came for the United Nations to bring back the refugees from exile back to South Sudan. We were not prepared to relocate these churches. That brought us one of the biggest challenges that I had to face. The challenge was, how are we going to relocate these churches that were planted in, in Uganda back to South Sudan? Because most of those refugees who are resident in these various camps were from different villages. How do we make sure that when these refugees go back, they are going to re-establish these churches in their own villages? Brethren, it was really tough. But we had to do this in consultation with the United Nations. Normally, when a relocation of a group of people, let me say when there is a relocation like next Friday, when refugees are being relocated to South Sudan, what the UN does is they come up with a list and, you know, put it on a notice board, a list of people showing their destination in Southern Sudan. That list helps us to track who is going where, in which village. So that list helps us to trace where the refugees have gone. And also we did this in consultation with the leaders. Normally when there is a, a convoy going to South Sudan taking refugees, we make sure there is a leader in one of those convoys to go and reorganize those people when they get back home so that, you know, they don't backslide. Brethren, the Lord did wonders. Out of these 20, 25 congregations that we planted in exile, 14 are now relocated in southern Sudan. Five congregations are still in exile. Many refugees are still back in exile. Others are still back in exile because of uh, educational needs of their children. 
because with all this <coughs> destruction of uh, you know property during the war right now in southern sudan there are very few schools few hospitals basic needs are not there even the roads most roads are not possible especially at this time of the year and again these refugees when they are being you know you can see over there when they are being you know relocated from exile the un does not provide them basic needs to help them resettle the un does not provide them basic hand tools like uh, hose uh uh seeds like corn seeds beans and all this to help these refugees resettle what the un does is provide transportation in addition to food that you know lasts for six months you are given uh, an individual is given like 30 pounds of uh, corn flour per month for six months after that each returnee or refugee is on his own so you can imagine the challenges that these returnees go through for which i request uh, your prayers and when these refugees uh, returnees come back home they are like brought and dumped imagine somebody going to a place that he or she has fled from over 20 years ago not a single building to be seen inside the un hcr just transport people and just dump them what they do is they give them plastic sheetings like you saw before to enable you you know make a shelter for you and your family and that is it have lived among these people taught them went through these difficulties with them at times it depresses to minister to you know people like this is depressing is really tough but we had to go through because they need to know god you see they need to know god as a result for the first time in the history of our country now we have 14 congregations of the lord's church in south sudan this destructive war that took place you know the lord in a way turned it into a blessing now sometimes i think now had this war not broken out could we be having the lord's church here brethren god worked things in a way we cannot understand but for our own good that work going on in south sudan is through your support without your support partnership and prayers 
there could be nothing going on over there. The Lord has used you in a way, in a very historical way, that is at times difficult to believe. But we believe so because you were in his, in his plans. How wonderful it is to be used by the creator of the universe. To open the eyes of people who never knew God. Our people never knew the Lord. But now many thousands have been baptized for the remission of their sins through your partnership. I'm here tonight, brethren, to express that appreciation. You have led thousands to the Lord. Our people who are going to die in their sins. But God had a plan. And you were, you are in that plan. Is that not wonderful to be in God's plan? Some even doubted, how come this, uh, somebody who has, you know, fled this country, you know, and relocated to the most developed country in the world, how come he's leaving all this, you know, comfortable life here, and how come you are going back to the camp? This man must be crazy. Some thought I was crazy. But they did not know that the Lord was using you and I to lead them to him. But now, most judge rightly the value of your support and partnership. Uh, the brethren you see over there are the first group that we have trained to minister to the people, to our people in western part of Sudan because we have not reached them. So far we have reached two tribes. The Lord willing, by next year, we may reach another neighboring tribe. You see. All this is possible through your support. Again, these are some of the brethren that we have trained they are from the southeastern part of uh, uh, eastern Equatoria. The Lord willing, other villages are also there that we have not reached. The Lord willing, by next year, we may reach uh, those villages with the, with the word of God. 
Over there you can see one of our you know, leadership training in progress. The leadership training has helped a lot in terms of training the leaders. Because it's not difficult through, you know, it's not so difficult to plant churches. But once we plant these churches, we need trained men to go and preach to these people. People who are trusted who can, you know, minister to these people. But one person cannot do the job. I tried. I was not able to do the job. Imagine yearly, like, planting two congregations every year. One person cannot handle. Through this kind of training, at least we have... uh, Over there you can see again one of the preachers that we have trained. Now they preach in all these congregations. We only come together like twice in a year for training and then they go back. You see? They go back to the villages. The receptivity of the people in South Sudan is really amazing. I was amazed. It is the receptivity that kept me going. Over there again you can see one of the congregations that uh, was planted. They worship in the open. Most of these congregations, like I said, do not have uh, uh, church buildings such that, uh, you know, at times weather dictates what we plan to do. At times like uh, on Sunday, if there is rain, you know, it disrupts our worship services. Uh, so those are the kind of things that we go through uh, for which I request your prayers. This again was one of the largest congregations that we planted. It was about 200. The size of the congregation was about 200. You can see also, you know, most of those preaching there are those that have trained uh, over the years. Over there you can see me again baptizing people in a place called Ye, western part of uh, South Sudan. You can see a lot of onlookers there. Again, over there you can see one of the preachers, he's called Pascal, baptizing his sister into Christ. Uh, in closing, brethren, I ask that you pray for the following needs. Like farm tools and seeds for these returnees coming from exile. 
they face real difficulties. Rebuilding their lives from scratch is really a problem. I ask that you pray for these needs. The Lord willing, it may facilitate their resettlement. Secondly, like you have seen in the pictures, most of these congregations worship in open air. There are no church buildings. These returnees are poor people. They have been devastated by war. Most possess almost nothing. They are not able to contribute. Like for, you know, to have a church building constructed. They depend on your partnership. They depend on your support. They depend on your prayers. Brethren, lastly, I want to end by, you know, once again appealing to you to continue your support, prayers for the work in South Sudan. Your partnership has been marvelous. Don and Grief, who have been over there, have seen with their eyes the conditions under which we work. They have seen the receptivity of the people. They have seen the hardships people go through. I request that you remember us in your prayers. Thank you, brethren. If Isaiah's had 3,500 baptisms in the last few years, he needs to be the one to extend the invitation tonight. Uh, brother, it is an honor uh, and a privilege for us to be in partnership with you and the wonderful work. And uh, I think about the phrase uh, that you said that reminds us of our theme of this year, with God we can, and truly all of us can be in partnership with God and great things can happen. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Hebrews the 11th chapter and give me about 90 seconds, I would like for you to think about something that I think is very profound in what we've had presented to us tonight. Most of us, perhaps all of us, cannot imagine what it would be like to be a refugee and to want to go home and cannot go home. I, I tried to wrap my mind around that as I looked at the pictures and listened to Isaiah tonight. But you know, the reality is spiritually, spiritually, God is calling all of us to leave this world as our home. First John 
2 teaches clearly, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And what we're all to be doing is looking at this world as simply a waiting time, that we're not at home. And, and I just thought about Abraham in, in Hebrews 11th chapter, the great hall of faith. He mentions Abraham by faith, Abraham obeyed. This is verse 8. Hebrews 11 and 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now notice verse 10. For he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. When God asked Abraham to leave his home, can you imagine how hard it was for him to turn his back and a wealthy man leave behind all of that to know that he would never return home? And then we could ask Abraham, Abraham, what was your mindset? And he said, I come to accept the fact that I'll never be at home on this earth. I'm waiting for a city whose foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Spiritually, I hope every one of us are refugees. I hope nobody here tonight can say, I'm at home in this world. I hope all of us can say, we're waiting for the real home. We're waiting. We're pilgrims. And while we wait, we give God the glory in everything that we think and we say and we do. And we try to get as many as we can to leave the world and take that journey with us to God. Tonight, are you at home in this world? Are you waiting for something far better? If we can help you make that move tonight from leaving your home to waiting for that home, we would love to assist you in any way that we can. If you want to be immersed into Christ, we'd love to help you do that. If you want to come forward and have your life restored, we'd love to help you do that. But let's all leave here tonight without a home in this world and waiting for that eternal home in heaven. If we can help you come as we stand and as we